You've been lied to, but you don't know how. You've searched, you've struggled, you've cried out. You want the truth, but where is it? You've wandered, you've fought, you've strived, and you have not been satisfied. What is truth? Where is truth? Who is truth? The kingdom of God. Mind control. The last days. Higher dimensions. Unity. The power of faith. Discovering the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. God has promised that he will hide us under his feathers and under his wings we will trust. His truth shall be our shield and our buckler. Discovering the Truth with Dan Devon is the premier program that is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is designed to show you how to become more than you have ever imagined through the power of truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And now, prepare for your host, Dan Duvall. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. This program is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is a production of Bride Ministries, and you can find us at www.bridemovement.com, and of course, www.thefireplacechurch.org, where every Friday and Sunday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, you're able to... Enjoy an internet-based ministry service with worship, with the Word of God, and followed by an opportunity for fellowship with um, some of the most amazing people you will ever meet. Our moderators are just really awesome folks. As a matter of fact, just the other night we had a moderator meeting, and um, let me tell you something. If you think that you are winning by not showing up live at the Fireplace Church and just watching the archives only, I just want to encourage you. You are not. And um, one of the reasons why we built the Fireplace Church is because it allows for the development of community. The community is what many of you are lacking. And it, emails continue to come in all the time. You know, you're lonely. You don't have any community around you. Nobody understands you and where you're coming from, where you are. You you don't have opportunity to have conversation with anyone but people you meet on Facebook. And, um, well, actually you do. And it's called the Fireplace Church. And so that is available to you at www.thefireplacechurch.org. Folks, it has been quite a year. I mean, this, this year we have just seen so much growth, uh, so much expansion, um, so much uh, increase, and yet we're just getting started. 
next year, and, and I want to just encourage you, many of you like write in and you say, you know, well, when is the DID coaching school going to be established? Let me encourage you. I am looking at next year pretty firmly as the establishment of the DID coaching school. But keep in mind that this is going to be a, a, a pretty large project. We're not just throwing together something shabby, just like we didn't just throw any kind of thing together for the fireplace church. There was a lot of thought that went into this. We created a system for production. We invested in computers and uh, cameras and green screen and web developers and all of that. We, we had to really solve a lot of problems and develop a solution to allow for internet-based community. Um, it was it was a very involved project. It took us about two months of intense, hardcore work to pull off the fireplace church, and it also cost us quite a bit of money. I mean, by the time we launched, we had invested $30,000. Debt-free, by the way, thanks to those of you that jumped on board and supported us out of, I mean, nowhere. Uh, I, I think we raised some some a little over forty thousand dollars in the whole of 2015, and we managed to raise that within a just a couple months in 2016 as you guys funded us through the establishment of the fireplace church and anyway with the did coaching school we're looking at something similar we're not doing this small we're doing it big we're not doing it for 20 people we're doing it for international consumption we want to become a, a recognized global resource for solutions strategies teachings and schooling in how to execute ministry to survivors with the power of Jesus Christ. So that is going to require some brainstorming. We're going to have to have some meetings about that. We're going to have to, again, hire some web developers. We're going to have to brand it. We're going to have to come up with systems for how the school is executed and uh, we're going to make it look really good. So give us some time. I know that many of you are getting antsy about it because you want to be able to help survivors yesterday with the information we haven't even put out there yet, but uh, we will be getting to it. And you know what? One of the ways that we're going to get there is by having the capital to invest in it because the, the, the reality is I am not in creating debt to do the work of the Lord. I, I am saying, look, we, we spend cash. We raise money and we spend money. We do not create debt at Bride Ministries. And so um, when the capital is there, it, it just makes it so much easier to just jump in once the plans have been laid out. And of course, with you know the Fireplace Church, we did it by faith because we had no cash. And I just said, we're going to do it. But you know, uh, for those of you that know that we are a ministry of our word, and when we say we're going to do something, we do it. Um, please keep that in mind. Uh, seed us with um, the ability to launch this thing as soon as we have plans in place. And um, of course, if you want to support us financially, you know, you can do that at bridemovement.com, thefireplacechurch.org. Also, by writing to us, P.O. Box 362, Nash, Texas 75569. And understand that in the interim, I mean, we at Bride Ministries, this is not a one-man operation. I'm not the only person involved here. We have staff. We have contractors. We are supporting survivors uh, and investing in their healing process. And, you know, there's a lot of money going out 
as it stands. So anyway, we continue to thank you all for your continued support that's helping us to continue to pioneer in the ways we are. Uh, we're looking for that support to increase so that we can continue to pioneer in ways that we want to. And with that said, I am done. We're going to be jumping into the program for this week on the airplane model and dissociation. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. <laughs> Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. And folks, I am going to be talking to you today without a guest. You know, every once in a while I go through different things, different phases. And sometimes I'm booking guests way out a month, month and a half, maybe in advance. And then there are other times where I just don't book any guests. And then I'm like, oh, it's time for Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. And there are no guests, which means you get stuck with me. And some of you really appreciate this and others of you, well, who knows. Um, you got me today and I'm going to be talking to you from the abundance of my own, uh, whatever you want to call it. And so, you know, I have a lot of questions that come to me all the time. Um, a lot of questions that come to Bride Ministries all the time. There's so much that people want to know or want to know that I know or if I know and, uh, you know... <sighs> Who knows what I know? <laughs> Half the time, I can't even remember what I know because there's so much going through this head, it's kind of hard to keep up. So, you know, today I'm actually going to be taking some time to, to break down a few things that I think is going to be really helpful for those of you that follow this program. One of the things that I find a lot of people um, asking about it is, is practical, pra a way to practically engage the knowledge that they are learning. You know, I, we get a lot of questions of, well, how do I engage my own spirit man? Or how do I hear the voice of the Lord? How do I minister healing? You know, there's a lot of the how do I kind of questions that we get. And one of the areas, of course, that many of you are very familiar with that listen to this program regularly is dissociation and how it's dealt with, how it's overcome, uh, we, we spend a lot of time talking with survivors and, and how wild agendas have been hidden through the power of dissociation that are now being unveiled because people are getting healed. Praise the true Lord Jesus Christ. And so, um, 
you know, questions of, well, how do you engage dissociation? How do I know if I'm dissociated? What does it feel like to be a dissociated person? How do you, if you think you're, you know, living or friends with someone that's associated, help them to connect with their parts? How can you talk to alters if you uh, are under the conviction of, or somebody that you know seems to feel like they have alters and, and, and they want them engaged? How do we do that? And actually, that's where we're going to be focusing in today, guys, because I'm going to be talking to you about something I call the airplane model. And, um, you know, I've mentioned this in, in a few of my podcasts before and also on interviews and, and different things. When I'm going to begin talking about dissociation, I'll say, well, just give me like five minutes and I'm going to give you an illustration that's going to help you to understand how dissociation plays out in the mind of a person that is dissociated. But today I'm going to be taking a lot more time and really kind of breaking this down, uh, fleshing it out so that you, whether you think you're dissociated, know you're dissociated, or have a friend who's dissociated and you want to be able to at least engage um, alters and, and, and know what that's like uh, or, or how to expect it to manifest if this is you, this is going to help a lot. So I'm going to flesh it out. You know, um, one, when we talk about dissociation at Bride Ministries, we are not talking about DID only. As a matter of fact, dissociation happens along something known as a continuum. And thank you, Dr. Preston Bailey, for coming on the Fireplace Church to tell us all about the dissociative continuum. And, and, and folks, if you listen to this program and you want the uh, whole breakdown, um, you, you could just go to our YouTube channel and find the fireplace or just go to www.thefireplacechurch.org and find our archives. And you, and you can look this particular sermon up where Dr. Preston Bailey talks about the dissociative continuum. But in his model, he basically goes and he explains that daydreaming is on the extreme low end of, you could say, pain while DID, which is dissociative identity disorder, is on the high end of great pain, you know, the amount of pain that it takes to achieve this degree of dissociation. Um, when we talk about dissociation, there is a continuum. It's, it's not that there's only one type of dissociation. Either you were put under trauma and you have DID or you're fine. And that's not the way it is at all. As a matter of fact, all of us actually have degrees of dissociation because we all have at least had one daydream. Um, many of us can do this thing where we drive around while we're talking on a phone and we're more engaged in a conversation than we are in driving the car. But we're able to still drive the car, not get in an accident, still get where we're going, not really pay attention to, oh, I am turning left on 1st Street. I am turning right on 3rd Street. I am, we don't need to do that in our heads every time. We just get, come to a place of familiarity. We can dissociate from the process of driving in order to speak on a phone or engage in a lively conversation in our car. And most people can handle that, right? It, it, so this is actually achieved through dissociation. Um, when, when we're talking about this uh, spectrum, that's again on the on the less pain end. But when we talk about what it takes to push someone to DID, which is dissociative identity disorder, we're talking about heavy-duty traumas, oftentimes beginning at conception uh, or during pregnancy, at the very least before the age of seven. Um, and 
and it's repeated. It's repeated over a period of time. And that causes a person to try to escape their pain. And that escape comes by way of dissociating because they cannot often dissociate in the physical sense and dissociate in their mind. And that separation that occurs as they dissociate in their mind becomes a, uh, a the means by which alter identities begin to form within the individual. Um, the, the part of them that always endures a repeated trauma, whether it's physical abuse or emotional abuse or sexual abuse, there's a part of them that's taking that on over and over and over again. They develop an identity around it. And of course, when you get into mind control, satanic ritual abuse, uh, all of these agendas, they're very purposeful and they've built a whole science around the, the very natural uh, ability for people to dissociate in order to tie them into uh, New World Order agendas. I mean, realistically, uh, <clears throat> powers of darkness at the highest levels, so on and so forth. But... What we're talking about today is the airplane model and how to engage alters. So when a person has um, different parts that have their own identities, and, and we can call them parts because if you listen to Dr. Preston Bailey talk about this, you know, about the middle of the scale on, on, on the dissociative continuum, you, you begin to run into things like voices with identities and functions and fragments with identities. It, there are different kinds of fragments. Not all of them have a fully developed personhood when a person begins to dissociate in, in heavy-duty ways. Um, even post-traumatic stress disorder, yeah, that's on the dissociative continuum, but it's not DID yet. Uh, you can engage pieces of a person's soul that have been fragmented um, when a person has PTSD, maybe the part of them that was stuck in that, you know, battlefield when their friend's head got blown off. <laughs> and you can go there and minister to that part of them, but it's not a fully developed altar. It's not uh, a different person living inside the body that could, you know, take the body and live life if they were given the opportunity. Um, when a person has DID, there's usually the presence of every type and kind of degree of dissociation in addition to um, at least from what I've found, people I've worked with, in addition to fully developed alters that have uh, their own history, their, uh, uh, maybe their own language. So some, sometimes I, I run into parts of people that speak different languages, uh, their own you know, age group and, and even friends set. It, I mean, it gets wild. So what I'm saying is, what I want to talk to you about is how the airplane model to, can help us to understand how the mind of a person is going to process through engaging different parts of them in an active way, right? So I, I use the airplane model. And when I'm going to begin working with someone, I'll often sit them down and I'll say, hey, listen, um, so you understand what we're going to do as we begin to work through the healing that you're going to be ministered. You need to understand how this works so you don't get confused when things begin to happen. Think about an airplane. Now, in an airplane, you're going to have different areas of that airplane. Many of us, right? We've, we've all been on an airplane at one point or another in our lives. Uh, some of us love airplanes. Others of us, we struggle. <laughs> and... <clears throat> 
When you're on an airplane, you, you will notice that as you walk on board the craft, you will be able to see off to the side. They're, they're loading the luggage under the plane for, you know, where the luggage goes down there. Uh, and you walk in and you see to the, your left the pilot's cockpit. Um, and, and then there's a door that they can close behind the pilot's cockpit. You'll meet the flight attendants, and they'll say, Hi, how are you, Mr. Smith? <laughs> We're so happy to see you. Of course, you know, they don't know who you are, and they're just told to say that. Who knows if they're really happy to see you? But you'll, if you're a nice person, smile and say thank you. Um, if you're mean, and those of you that are mean, you know who you are, you'll just, <clears throat> and go take your seat. <laughs> Praise God for you, Christians. Um, and, and then as you go down, you will find first class, and they get all the comfy chairs because they paid $130 extra for their tickets. And then behind them, you'll have everybody else. And then some bathrooms in the back, you know. Um, and, and, and so that's the layout of the plane, right? I, I, this is not news to most people. Most, oh, yeah, that sounds very familiar. I've been on one of those before. Um, what does this have to do with dissociation? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. You know, but first, let's... let's uh, Talk a little bit about what each of the areas of the airplane really is doing, right? In the cockpit, you will have a pilot chair and a co-pilot chair. And whoever is sitting in the cockpit flies the plane. Now, the plane is the vessel, right? And so whoever's in the cockpit gets to fly the plane. But, but the cool thing is there's actually two chairs, which means that the, the control of the flight can be switched from the pilot to the co-pilot and back. So you have the cockpit. There's also a whole bunch of controls and cool things. There's an intercom and stuff like that. Then, you, you know, actually, you realistically, you even have a speaker system, right? So you, you could talk into the speakers and, and it comes through the whole plane. Everyone can hear the pilot during pilot announcements. Anyway, there's a door and the door behind the cockpit makes sure that the pilot is undistracted by whatever's going on on the airplane. So there could be kids fighting and people snoring and somebody farting, you know. Some of you are like, yeah, that happened last time. I had to sit next to the guy that had all the beans before the flight. Gosh darn it. <sighs> you know, but, you know, things happen on a flight. I mean, um, and so, so the pilot, to do a good job, he is shielded by a barrier from all of the nonsense that may occur on board the craft, right? And so that's the purpose of this nice little door. Now, the flight attendants will often be there at the front. There, there may even be like, a, there'll always be a little kiosk there where they can get their snacks and food and any kind of flight amenities, drinks and all that. And, and they'll sit basically at the front of the plane or and sometimes they'll, they'll actually have a seat at the very back of the plane between the two bathrooms. Praise God for those seats. <laughs> and the, the, the reality is that the flight attendants are constantly moving up and down the plane. They're going to the back. They're coming back to the front. Sometimes if there's a real emergency, they'll even be the ones to knock, knock, knock on the door of the pilot's cockpit and talk to the pilot. So 
That's the flight attendants. When you get to first class, I mean, these are people that can afford to spend more on their plane tickets than the average person. Uh, they have higher paying jobs. They may have more pomp. They may be your CEOs. Uh, they're, they're pulling strings in society. They have uh, endowments or trusts, you know, stuff that uh, wealthier people have um, power so that so they can, you know, fork over the extra cash, doesn't hurt them, and, and they enjoy first class, right? So that's why people sit, and, you know, sometimes we just will say, you know what, gosh darn it, I'm going to spend an extra $130 on my plane ticket so I can feel important. But, you know, I mean, that's what's going on in first class. You, you have people that um, have, have a bit more leverage, and then behind first class, there may be a little curtain or not. And you have the rest of the cabin, all of the people that sit on that airplane that are on for the ride. They're not really concerned with who the pilot is. Um, they, they have very little going on. They're not, you know, they might look out the window every once in a while, but uh, they're, they're just there. They're, they're, they're on for the ride. They're in their own world. And then you have the bathroom. And the interesting thing about the bathroom is that it has a lock, you know. Uh, no one likes a bathroom without a lock. So, so the bathroom will have this function where people go in and then get locked in the bathroom. Now, the lock is typically on the inside of the bathroom so people can let themselves out. But there is a lock nonetheless. And, and actually, as I begin to flesh out this example, you're going to see why the lock is such an important conversation to have. So we're talking about dissociation and, and, and how it plays out in the mind of a person that's dissociated. right? Um, but I've described to you an airplane. Now, of course, I mentioned this earlier, the belly of the plane will often be the area where the luggage is stored and the thing about luggage areas on an airplane particularly commercial flights is that you have no access to luggage you, you cannot get to the luggage unless you exit the plane and then go to you know your baggage claim you just don't have access there it's it's like it's not even on the plane for for all intents and purposes, but it is. It's just, you know, it exists, but it's not accessible from the area on the plane where people are. So now we're going to begin explaining this model because I'm telling you guys, for those of you that really want to understand how dissociation plays out and how to engage dissociation, in, in a practical way, it's going to really help you to understand what I'm saying. Because let, let's say, you know, God calls you to minister and, you know, you begin to minister to someone and suddenly a four-year-old part pops out and starts talking about what happened and how they need healing from Jesus. Well, when you understand what I'm about to tell you, you're not going to go into panic mode like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what do I do? Where does this four-year-old part go? Where did they come from? How does it... like? You're not going to have to do that because you're going to have a working model in your head that's going to help you to understand, oh, I, I, I see what happened. So in order to begin breaking this down, uh, what we're going to do is call the cockpit the front. And we're going to define the plane as a whole as the physical body. So... 
for me, um, I have a physical body and my soul is running my body. Uh, as far as I know, my soul is talking to you right now. Uh, we are, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.23, created body, soul, and spirit, or spirit, soul, and body. Actually, that's the order, spirit, soul, and body. Um, and, and, and so my spirit will be uh, behind my soul. He'll be around. He'll be working through me. Sometimes during moments of ministry, my spirit may come full on front, but most of the time my soul is involved in, in day, day life, most conversations, most relationships. It's, it's my soul that's doing that job. And my spirit has a whole host of functions, but he's running the show from the background. So anyway, um, at the front, I'm here, Daniel. I'm talking to you. Now, in, in my world, because as far as I know, me personally, I don't have dissociation. I, I, as far, like, like in a conversation of DID context, would you ever meet a four-year-old part in me? I haven't come across one. I, I don't think it's there. But, you know, um, the, the reality is I'm at the front, right? So soul is at the front. I'm talking to you. And so, because I don't really have dissociation, my airplane looks more like a, a, a F-15 fighter pilot. There's not a lot of luggage. There's not a lot of extra weight. There's one person flying the plane. It's me. And you can go really fast and do cool maneuvers. Life is peachy, right? And um, I am in the cockpit at the front. For, for this person that has DID, there's a bunch of people on their airplane. But there is the front still. But it's not an F-15 fighter pilot with one seat. Well, it is a commercial airline <laughs> with a lot of seats. <laughs> and the person at the front becomes the presenter, which is often a, a, um, a very large part of the person's soul or a primary part of the person's soul that's dissociated but nonetheless capable of living life day to day they're the pilot and so when you hear me use words like presenter i'm talking about the the part of a person primarily a soul part that sits at the front of the body and wakes up in the morning brushes the teeth goes to work that's the presenter's job they are the pilot they're flying the plane but um as we as we as we move around and begin to look at how this this is laid out see the the presenter will be sitting in front of a door i described a door to you what does the door keep out all the noise so many times people can be dissociated and have lots of parts and have no idea they're dissociated at all now they may have really weird things going on in their life they may get abducted by aliens they may meet a famous politician and feel like, I know that person, but I don't know why. They may have dreams of being in funny places like underground military bases and the moon or Mars or onboard craft and being part of experiments and laboratories and other dimensions. And they think they watch too much science fiction. Maybe they did. <laughs> Maybe they didn't. So... 
There will be question marks on a person's life, but the reality is if they are the presenter sitting in front of the door, that door is the amnesic wall to the rest of their subconscious, their um, parts of the brain that are associated with all of the parts they are not aware of. And so they can, people can go through life years and years and years and have no idea what's going on, what's really happened to them, what their true history is. I mean, I may ask them a question. So tell me about life, you know, from the ages of five to seven. They may tell me, I have nothing for you. It's completely black. I don't know anything. But there's no, um, no awareness of what should go there because it's all blocked. This is what we call the amnesic wall that door behind the pilot's cockpit. Now, moving on, when, when you begin to get into uh, the, the inner workings of a person that's truly dissociated, you're going to run into um, things that are going on in what we call an area beneath the surface. Now, when I talk about beneath the surface, what I'm talking about is the surface equals the front, equals the cockpit, where the pilot is flying the plane or the presenter is living life in the body. Behind the amnesic wall is what we call beneath the surface. And in, in, in a human body, that's descending out of the conscious mind of the presenter and into the realm of the subconscious where a person's alters live. And for those of you that have heard me talk about this before, this is not going to come as any surprise to you. For those of you that have not heard me talk about this before, I'm going to tell you that 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, um, May the God of all peace sanctify you wholly. I pray that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we learn that we are a spirit, soul, and body. And Hebrews 4.12 says, um, for the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So when we do our word studies, we learn that the word soul is suki, the, the word spirit is pneuma, and the word heart is cardia. And I talk about this in both kingdom government and the promise of sheep nations, as well as higher dimensions, parallel dimensions in the spirit realm. The nature of human design has this interesting component called the heart that many people struggle to place. We, we, we ask, well, is the heart the spirit or is the heart the soul? Um, and so my answer is, in some ways, it's, it's, it's kind of both. And the way I look at it is that the heart is the lowest part of the soul, being the subconscious, which is overlapped upon the spirit. So the heart becomes a gateway or meeting place between things soul and spirit, which is why the definitional characteristics of cardia or leb, if you want to look at it in the Hebrew, is, is, is very much aligned with definitional characteristics of the soul. Uh, you know, it, it's a mind, it's a place of will, it's a place of emotions, but also the Bible will say in Romans chapter 2, um, he is not a Jew which is one outwardly of the circumcision of the flesh, but he who is a Jew is one that is inward of the circumcision of the heart in the spirit. 
And in that passage in Romans chapter 2, it actually reads cardia and pneuma, heart and spirit. And so the heart is overlaid upon the spirit, and the spirit is overlaid upon the heart. So there is an interaction between the spirit and the soul in the region of the heart or the subconscious. And that's also where all of our belief systems are planted, which is why the Bible says things like, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, Proverbs 23, 7. So as we begin to, to build out this understanding, right, you, you can kind of look at it as, well, that plane, that, that craft <laughs> going back from behind the wall that blocks the cockpit from the rest of the plane all the way to the end where the lavatories are, you're talking about heart realm. You're talking about the subconscious. And the subconscious is what we call beneath the surface. And so what, what happens is when we move beneath the surface, the first thing that we're going to encounter are, guess what? The um, flight attendants, right? They're the ones that are right behind the pilot. As a matter of fact, sometimes the flight attendants will be the ones that knock, knock, knock on the door and say, hey, pilot, this and this and such and such. So when a person's dissociated, what they don't realize is that oftentimes they have parts that are very close to the surface or the front, um, to the presenter, that um, will influence them regularly. So this is how it works. Let's say one flight attendant is called sadness, one flight attendant is called rage, and, and one flight attendant is called alcoholism. Uh, because there's a drunk part, an angry part, and a sad part. <laughs> and, and they're very significant parts. As a matter of fact, they're kind of running things on the airplane. <laughs> so what happens is the pilot's flying and they hit a little bit of turbulence. <laughs> knock, knock, knock. <laughs> rage. <laughs> and the rage says, hey, pilot, let me give you a piece of my mind. Now the pilot is having to cope with rage. Where is the rage coming from? <laughs> from one of their parts. That's now right beneath the surface, right behind the pilot in the cockpit at the front. This is what people go through when they deal with people that have DID or, or different degrees of dissociation. They will watch them shift. And it's like, wait, what? What just happened? Because one minute ago, you were totally cool. And in like 10 seconds, you went, into rage mode and like someone literally dropped a toothpick on the floor. Like what happened here, right? So a little bit of turbulence, we call it a trigger and this part comes up. And so for a lot of people, what happened is it's kind of masked. The parts will be right beneath the surface, but the pilot will be heavily influenced by their opinions, by their mood, by their emotions, by their willpower or lack thereof, right? Um, let's say another time during the flight, uh, a, a, a bit of turbulence gets hit, blah, 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 and, and, and the plane wobbles, and one of the flight attendants comes up, knock, 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 this one's alcoholism, this is the drunk part. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna give you a piece of my mind, right? Now, suddenly, the pilot is under heavy influence of, oh, wow, I really, really, really need to get drunk. Now, you may be saying, well, Daniel, isn't that a demon? Well, it could be. But what we don't realize oftentimes, and this is how it actually plays out, that because we go through traumas and, and then we uh, have open doors 
for various reasons. The demonic will come in and attach itself to the human parts of us that are fragmented. It reinforces their presence. So there'll be a part of us that is truly in agreement with alcoholism or an alcoholic demon. And so the part that comes up may be carrying a demon on their back. But they're holding the demon's arms around their neck through agreement and saying, hey, Pilate, let me give you a piece of my mind. We need to get really wasted. So it's both human and demonic in many cases. Um, sometimes you can kick the demonic, but the behavior pattern is still there. So you can maybe take the monkey off the altar's back, but the altar still wants to get drunk until they are healed of that issue themselves. So when they come up, Pilate's like, oh my gosh. And next thing you know, they're drinking a fifth of whiskey, right? So the... Um, <laughs> And, and then when you come under the influence as the presenter, then everything begins to go haywire on the craft. And you never really know. Someone may need to come up and start flying the plane because the presenter is wiped out. Now, this is what also can happen. Sometimes you may have a little bit of turbulence. You know, everything gets a little bumpy. And then sadness comes up. But sadness isn't mm, too happy with the way the pilot is flying the plane, so sadness will actually come in next to the pilot, sit in the co-pilot chair, and press the button. Now, this button is called switch. They'll press the switch. Switch. When the person or, or, or uh, sadness presses the switch, the pilot that is flying the plane is now suddenly finding themselves with no control over where the plane is going. What happened to my control? And suddenly they realize the plane is being flown by somebody else. And sadness is flying the plane. So now the physical body begins to do some funny things. Break down in tears, totally. Go and sit in a closet with their knees uh, held to their chest in fetal position. I didn't do that. I didn't agree to that. Why am I here in this situation right now? So when you have a cockpit with two chairs, what you have is a situation where um, controls can be passed from the presenter, the pilot, to a co-pilot. And on this particular flight, the co-pilot can switch. They could change. You, you you could actually have sadness get up and turn the co-pilot chair over to rage or have the co-pilot chair then turned over to alcohol. And, and they're actually no longer just influencing the pilot heavily. They are actually flying the plane on behalf of the pilot. But they're not the only ones because we're just talking about the flight attendants right now. What I'm talking about are parts of a person that stay very close to the surface that are up and down throughout the mm, heart and subconscious because they're very major players in the person's life. They call a lot of the shots. They, they actually have a lot of control over what's going on. Um, th th these are the, the most likely, let's just say that, to find themselves in a situation where they occupy a co-pilot chair. Now, um, what 
you find behind the flight attendants are the first class people. Now, in the real world, I would never say that first class people are more important than the people that are in the general cabin. But in, in the life of a person that's dissociated, they are. All right, so, so we're just going to say, for argument's sake, first class are the more important people. Now, the more important people are major parts of a person that are much less likely to take the surface unless they're actually specifically instructed to do so. However, they have a lot more leverage. Um, I would call these system heads. They control areas. Maybe you're CEO. They own a company. Um, inside of a person that's dissociated, especially if they are programmed, there will be areas within their subconscious that need to be governed. And those governing tasks will be delegated to significant parts of them. I call them system heads. Um, so... There's a lot of other things that larger parts may do. Uh, certain larger parts may spend a lot of time out of the body. And this doesn't really have too much to do with our airplane model, but I'm just saying it because it's true. Um, one of the things that I find is people will say, you know, Daniel, I use your evening prayer, but I still leave my body at night and I don't want to. And I can't, can't quite seem to stop it. And it's like, well, why are you leaving your body? At night? And what, what, what I find is that many times... It's not the presenter that's wanting the activity to stop that goes and astral projects at night, which, by the way, is, is something that we at Pride Ministries try to help people get stopped. Um, we, uh, what we find is that there will be big, large parts of them that are like first-class flyers that are trained through whatever military programming or ritual abuse programming the person has, to leave the body when the body's asleep. And they'll go out and do their job, and the person will realize that there is a component of them leaving the body. But it's actually a dissociated part of them that's doing that. It's somebody that sits in first class. Uh, it may not even be one of the flight attendants. It, it, it may not be the part that gets angry or the part that gets sad or the, whatever. It, it may be none of those. It's just a totally different part that has that job. And they, they go out and, and they come back at night. They run missions. Um, with the heavy duty stuff, I find parts that may be pulled out of uh, the body for years at a time. Uh, and, and they're large enough and significant enough in their existence to sustain that amount of time out of the body while the person who is like the presenter holds the body and lives life at like 15% year after year after year. You know, one of the things that I find that a lot of survivors uh, endure is the feeling gassed all the time. They're always tired. It's always like everything's uphill. It's tough. It's hard. It's like, you know, um, do, do I ever get to feel better? Well, um, when you're living on 10 or 15%, it, it, yeah, it, it, you're just not going to feel 100%, period. And, and, so, and so what we'll find is some of these parts that are big but not major players in the person's day-to-day -day life are being used all over the place. <laughs> and uh, this even ties into like how Secret Space Program works because Secret Space Program relies on the fact that those involved in Secret Space Program have parts that are being used out of body while the vessel, or the body, 
is being flown by the pilot that's living life on the earth called presenter <laughs> at 15%. So the, uh, the first class are, are significant parts. Um, usually these will be fully defined alters, in my opinion, at least for this example. They, they, they have their own mind, their own way of thinking. They're not fragments. They are full-blown alternate identities. And if you know what you're doing and you know who they are, you have their name or you have their job description, and you're a coach or a counselor or a programmer, really, you will be able to say, hey, I need so-and-so at the surface because I want to talk to you. The, the first-class person will get up, walk to the front, sit down in a chair, in a co-pilot chair, press switch, and suddenly they'll be the one talking, but they're not going to just do that of their own accord per se. They're going to have to be called upon or triggered in order to come to the front, sit in the co-pilot chair and press switch. Now, um, moving beyond the first class, you have the general populations. Now, general populations can include fully developed alters, but it can also include fragments and different types of fragments, different degrees of dissociation of a person. And th there's just a whole lot. And you'll have little babies, you'll have young children, you'll have, I mean, just all kinds of people that run the length of the cabin. Um, they, they'll bring their luggage. <laughs> they all have luggage. <laughs> oh man, you know, some people that are dissociated are like, why do I have so much luggage? It's like, dude, every single part of you brought their own piece of luggage. Like you, you, you do, you have a whole craft full of luggage and that's not even including the luggage that's under the plane. That's just the carry-ons. So I, I, I know that some of you that are listening to me are like, oh my gosh, I am so identifying with this right now. You know, th this example... I have found has really set a lot of people free. It really helps people to understand what's going on inside of them and inside of others that they're ministering to, right? So uh, as you move through the different fragments, each person, they have their own story or their own event, their own problem, and they need to be ministered to. Uh, if, if, if a person's associated, you know, you get into their heart, their subconscious areas. There are populations on the inside that will all need a lot of ministry in order for the person to be whole. And then you get to the back of the plane and you have the lavatory, the bathroom, the stinky place, right? And in the stinky place, there are locks on the door. Well... With most people that have been through trauma and dissociation, especially if there's programming involved or anything, what we run into as we go into the subconscious and explore what I would call inner worlds are, are the presence of dungeons, prisons, laboratories, things where people are locked down or at least their parts are locked down within their own subconscious. And so there are locks on the doors. This is just a, a part of the, the conversation. And, uh, you know, oftentimes that's how the enemy keeps people in a, in a state of, of bondage and torment. There are actually parts of them that are taken and locked in areas within their own subconscious that are like prisons or dungeons. And in those places, there are demons that are given the assignment 
to continually afflict the individual. And so they may, you know, uh, do all, I, mean, I don't want to get into some of the things that we've witnessed go on in some of these prisons and dungeons inside of the subconscious, but, but they're horrible places. They're, they're, they're really horrible. I mean, just there is a person that is a fragment of the soul or spirit locked in there, and they are tormented day and night by demons whose job it is to, to do that. And sometimes it's not just demons that get that job. Uh, if they're really creative, they'll actually give other parts of the person a job to torment parts of the person that are locked in the torment. So a person actually is continually afflicting themselves. And they, they base this around a, a, a root called self-hatred, self-contempt, unforgiveness of self. And so um, in a very practical sense, this is, can play out for the person that just cannot stop beating themselves up because they didn't get a job when they were 25 and now they're 35 and somehow that's ruined their whole life. Or they didn't catch the game-winning touchdown when they were a junior in high school. Now they're 50 years old and still talking about missed opportunities. <laughs> if they're dissociated, the, the part there may be a part of them that represents the them who did not catch that football when, when they were a junior in high school. And they're chained to a wall, getting lashed by the part of them that's the frustrated middle management person and, and and it's just like you know you're gonna pay for this and suffer for the rest of your life that's what's going on in the subconscious in the natural they just keep talking about it and bringing it up over and over and over and over again and it's like dude can you just get over it like life moves on things change but see when there is a a, a loop in the mind like that it well life doesn't move on anyway there's like lockdown areas and and, and as we begin to uh, explore the inner worlds and all that. What we'll find is that some of these lockdown areas can be heavily guarded. There may be dragons sitting in front of them. Some some of them are run by you know cosmic beings and principalities, powers of fallen angels. And of course, if you're going to deal with one of those guys, you are best to use what I call the uh, principality prayer, which is on our website brightmovement.com. Because if you don't know what you're getting into on the front end, and you just try to you know. Mammon, leave in Jesus' name. You're going to fail. I mean, it's just, it just doesn't work. You, you actually need to know how to engage the way they've put the person in bondage. Um, otherwise, you, you yell at that person for eight hours and still get no deliverance. So uh, the, the prisons can be locked down a number of, of ways by a number of parts. You know, different kinds of things can be on assignment. Uh, as we've gotten more and more into this, what we've realized is, look, I mean, quantum computing has gone to a whole other level. They're cre able to create synthetic spirits that they can upload into a person's mind. And so sometimes um, we will have to deal with synthetic spirits and, and take those out. And they're the ones doing the torment, whatever. So uh, let, me, let me give you an example of this, actually. I had a really interesting dream a few nights ago that helped me to uh, understand the reality of, of what's going on with some of this uh, tech stuff. You know, once upon a time, we all thought everything that attacked us was demons. Then we, we, we expanded and, and, you know, at least at Bride Ministries, we realized that attacks can come from astral projecting humans. Um, most sleep paralysis leading to rape 
experiences, in my opinion, is actually being done by astral projecting humans, not so much the incubus and succubus, although that is part of the conversation as well. But now we've moved into a whole other category. Um, I'm calling them synthetic spirits. And so they, they kind of build them in computers. And I had a dream where uh, there, there was this developing theme. And in the, in the dream, there was a developing theme that there was this thing. It was like a creature. It started off in a bag. And I kept on having to come back to it. And it kept getting bigger. Like it was uh, birthing its way into the dream. And so every time I came back around the bag, I'm like, oh, man, it just got bigger. And let me see if how I can contain it this way or I can contain it that way or I can contain it a different way. And finally, the thing broke out of the bag, and then it was like, all right, now this thing's on assignment. It's going to try to attack me in different ways. This is the dream. So um, after it broke out of the bag, it, like I didn't see it, and I didn't see what it looked like, but I knew that it walked out of like a house and... So I went in like this porch area of the house and there was a phone and the phone had been left off the hook. Like so that I could hear a dial tone and then the door was open, but I caught a glimpse of its face like from, from the side because it was walking way off. But I could see that it had took the phone off the hook and it had walked out the door and um, then um, it basically tried to send something in the door, but I blocked it and didn't let what it was trying to send in the door in the door and and then I was like all right now I need to get this thing so I walked out a different door of the this foyer porch area enclosed patio uh whatever and when I walked out um I found it and I immediately went into warfare mode like in my dream right so I said I began commanding the blood of Jesus. And I'm like, I place the blood of Jesus on you. And in the name of Jesus, I take your authority away. And I declare that you are now coming under the influence of the outpouring of living water. And I declare that the living water cleanses us from all unrighteousness and sin. And, and, and we are washed by the water of his word. And, and I, you know, rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And, and like, I'm, I'm saying all this stuff to it, but it's like there, it's just standing there. And kind of like trying to work its way towards me. And basically, it's not really being impacted that much by the blood of Jesus, the living water. And then I hear in, in the dream in my head, I hear tech. This one word, and I knew immediately. I said, and in the name of Jesus, and it's, it was like I took my two hands and pushed them into what would be its like rib cage. And I said, I upload a virus into you. Now, the only reason I would know to use this language is because of all of the work that I've done, because I've set people free of cosmic artificial intelligences, quantum computers and beast computers and different kinds of tech on a lot of occasions. So when this thing showed up in the dream and I heard tech, I knew immediately one of the strategies that has worked time and time again, and you can take this to the bank, is in the name of Jesus, I upload a virus into you. So I, I did that and I like put my hands into its sides. And the moment I said that, 
the thing dropped to its knees, collapsed on the ground. It was done. And then I woke up and I knew I had victory and I heard the word Ian. Now, I still don't know what Ian is or means. I don't understand that at all. But what I'm trying to illustrate to you is, look, um, the survivors that are talking about dealing with uh, synthetic spirits and stuff like that, tech-inspired entities, are not making this stuff up. I dealt with it. So, uh, you know, anyway, coming back to the airplane model, in, in, in example, you have these lockdown areas at the back of the plane. This is important to know. Uh, because you, if you are dissociated, what you have to understand is, look, there are parts of you that are in perpetual torment. And the only way that they're going to get out of perpetual torment is to engage a healing journey that's going to allow Jesus Christ to deliver the parts of you that are in perpetual torment from it. And that's going to make your life a heck of a lot easier, even though you think, well, it may not because you may be the presenter that's in the front of the airplane at you know, peace because the door is always closed and you're kind of dissociated from everything that's going on in the back of the plane. But it doesn't mean that it's not going on nonetheless. So the, the, the goal that I believe that God has, you know, is to bring a person to a place of peace, a place of unity, um, a place of wholeness, ultimately. Um, although that's not always the intent right at the front end. And, you know, sometimes people just need relief. But uh, anyway, the... Um, the, the last part of this example that I really need to get into before I give you know, a few more examples has to do with the bottom of the airplane. Now, when, when you're in the bottom of the airplane, you have no access to that area. And what we've found is that there is something called the Babylonian soul trade. And I, I, I mention this pretty regularly on other interviews and, and, and different things. This comes from Revelation chapter 18, and, and this is something that is very important for people to understand. In Revelation chapter 18, it says, um, in verse 11, And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple silk, uh, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, on and on and on. But then, at the end of um, verse 14, no, verse 13, it says, and bodies and souls of men. And verse 13. So Revelation 8 to 13 says that part of this trade that the merchants of the earth engage in is bodies and souls of men. Now, of course, we can look at bodies and say, oh, well, duh, you know, the international sex slave trade, which absolutely exists. But there's also a trade of souls. And what many people don't realize is that, look, when a person goes through trauma and their soul gets fragmented, that those fragments can be through various ways extracted from the physical body and placed in regions that the person has absolutely zero access to them. And so what have you seen, Daniel? Well, I've seen that we've had to go, you know, in the spirit to caverns where, you know, witches or witch doctors will have jars. And in those jars, they're keeping souls. 
Um, other places that they keep souls is on board spacecraft or what we call UFOs, um, the ones that are operated by the entities. They'll have fragments of people's souls up there. They'll put fragments of people's souls on different planets. Saturn, the moons of Saturn, Mars, the moon of Earth. Like, so so I, I call these different realms um, because some of them are the literal physical moon that does circle the Earth. And sometimes they can be moons in parallel universes. And that makes it even more complex, yes. But nonetheless, there are parts of people that have been roped into what I call the... Uh, cosmic soul trade and I mean I found parts of people that are basically executing mining operations in other parts of the universe in the spirit but when they're on that plane it's as if they're physical and they're in prison and torment now this is where Jesus Christ is absolutely necessary in helping a person that's truly dissociated on these levels to get free there is no amount of psychiatric help and no number of pills you can take that is going to get a part of a person off of a prison on the moon or some kind of UFO back in the body. doesn't matter how many pills you take. You're not going to medicate a person into healing. It doesn't matter how many sessions you do where you talk about your problems. You need the armies of Jesus Christ, the angels, and the power of God in order to go and retrieve those parts from their regions of captivity. And so, see, when we look at the luggage under the plane, the, the idea is that there are going to be parts of things that belong to the person that is dissociated that is not present with them. Literally, it will not be on board the cabin to be uh, part of a healing journey. So, for all the parts of a person that get roped into the cosmic soul trade, the Babylonian soul trade, a person can never get whole, no matter how much work they do internally, until this component is brought to the table and brought to the conversation. Um, with with some survivors, we, we go on weekly, what I call raids. You know, Daniel chapter 11 says, those that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. We do exploits all the time. We go out with the armies of heaven, in the name of the true Lord Jesus Christ. And we go to the areas, we go to the spacecraft, we go to the planets, we go to the other universes and dimensions and everywhere else. They're keeping people's parts. And we command judgment and justice. And the angels go in and take the parts of people out, particularly my clients, people I'm working with, and bring them, you know, back to the body sometimes. Sometimes we'll take them to the third heaven for healing first and then take them back to the body later. Because without those missing components, the person can never achieve wholeness anyway. So there are going to be parts and things belonging to a person that have been totally removed and no degree of secular counseling is going to be able to help them, period. Once they've been wrapped up into the level of stuff that, you know, we deal with when we deal with survivors of satanic ritual abuse and government-sponsored mind control projects. So that's, in our example, what, what I'm representing with the, the luggage and the stowage areas under the plane. There's no access. You have to actually exit the plane in order to get access to what's there. You, you, you're not going to find it on the plane. You have to go outside of the plane. That's the idea. So when you, when you begin to understand this, it really helps us to understand what's going on when, when a person that's dissociated is being worked with. For instance, I may say, um, listen, is there anybody on the inside that wants to talk to me? When, when I say that, 
the person that's associated is essentially going to be uh, in that pilot chair, opening up the door behind the cockpit, looking back and saying, hey, is there anybody on the plane that wants to talk? Or going on their intercom and saying, hey, is there anybody on the plane that wants to talk? And then someone, maybe say a five-year-old in you know row 55F, says, I do. And then that little five-year-old runs all the way up to the front of the plane, sits in the co-pilot chair, and I can tell the person, okay, you can either stay at the front, you know, keep flying the plane and tell me what you hear the child saying, or you can just let the child talk directly to me. And sometimes, you know, the person will say, nope. They'll press the button, switch, and suddenly I'm talking to a five-year-old, or they'll say, no, I'm going to stay in control. And I'll say, okay, five-year-old child, what do you want me to know? Well, they touched me in my private parts. And then we'll begin to talk about why they're five years old on that plane in a 40-year-old body. And then we'll begin to be able to get the memories back and begin to minister healing and wholeness and deliverance and everything else like that. So that's, that's actually what's happening. From, from the subconscious, a, a part is actually coming to the surface, that is the front, that is the cockpit, and beginning to engage with the conscious mind of the presenter or in place of the conscious mind of the presenter. Um, like I said before, you know, a, a person switching in and out of angry, sad states. These are like the flight attendants that are just in and out of the cockpit, giving the pilot a piece of their mind or just saying, you know what? Forget you, pilot. Uh, now, people can get hacked. Now, sometimes you have terrorists on board an airplane. And so with the survivor, you may have a terrorist, and we'll just call this terrorist uh, demon. Now, the, the terrorist is actually not supposed to be on board the craft. They're there illegally. They snuck on the plane, right? So the demon's there. But, but this is a, a, a big enough demon that it's not just riding the back of an altar. It's actually his own person, and he's on the pl plane, right? So let's say I begin to get into a, a, a session with someone, and we really get close to some big truth. The terrorist gets activated, the terrorist runs to the front of the plane, kicks down the door to the cockpit, punches the pilot in the face, throws him on the ground, sits in the pilot chair and says, Daniel, this is the spirit of death. And now I'm actually engaging a demon that is in <laughs> the plane. <laughs> And so um, we go that route, and of course they lose. And because Jesus wins, right? So, so the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, Thanks be to God which has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the more proficient you get in spiritual warfare, I mean, this kind of stuff, it happens all the time, and you just, you know, kind of take it in a stride. It's like, <laughs> you're so silly for coming up and blowing your hand like that. You would have been better off continuing to hide. But now that I have you, let me tell you what's going to happen. And, you know, kick them out. So you, sometimes you have terrorists on a plane. Uh, sometimes you can have parts of a person that are like terrorists. They've been trained to be rebels and to fight on behalf of the, the, the cult that the person may have been programmed in. So uh, if you get too close to the truth, sometimes it's not a demon that comes forward like that. Sometimes it's actually uh, an actual part of the person that runs forward, kicks the door down, punches the pilot in the face, throws him on the floor, sits in the pilot chair and says, this session is over. We are going to leave now. Um, or uh, can 
act out in, 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 in a number of different ways. And so there, of course, are ways to deal with that for us that are coaches. And, you know, me personally, I work with survivors all the time. So there are various strategies. But uh, the idea is that this is what's happening internally. So if you are ever caught in a ministry to someone that's a survivor or someone that's highly dissociated and you can think about what's going on in their head in this way, it's going to give you a great deal of comprehension as to what you're up against. And, and it breaks the power of confusion, you know, because what, when you're sitting in front of a person and they switch like three times and, and you don't know what's what or where what went or what's going on, it's just very discouraging. Um, and, and this has happened to a lot of people, even leaders in the body of Christ. They're like, oh, that person has satanic ritual abuse in their background? Run for the hills. You know, and the Pride Ministries, we don't run anywhere. We run right into the middle of, the, well, I guess we do run into the middle of the fire re battle and fight for people in the name of Jesus to help them get set free, healed, delivered, whole. And, uh, that's a big part of our heart at Bride Ministries. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, the airplane model of helps us to understand dissociation in a crisp, clear, and concise way that um, prevents us from going into confusion as we may be dealing with a person we love or are trying to help or that the Lord simply has, has brought us. The last thing I want to throw out there before I conclude this podcast for this week is the idea that there are actually um, different types of alters or fragments in their uh, composition that I have found and I'm going to just briefly tell you about them. I've, I've basically at this point concluded that there are three main types. There are soul fragments, which are literally fragments or fractures and splinters of a person's soul that have split through trauma and have been dissociated from. But sometimes uh, certain traumas will cause splits to occur that yield a part that is soul but has attached to it a piece of the person's spirit so the part is actually both soul and spirit combined so it's a different composition than say a soul fragment it's actually soul and spirit combined and what i find is that these parts are often the ones that are targeted for jobs particularly involving extensive time out of the body to be sent out of the body to do stuff even in other bodies and in certain government projects they're building bodies and sending parts of people into those bodies to run missions and then pulling the parts back into the original host body after those missions are over and so there's all kinds of things that go on. And these are also going to be the parts of a person that can switch in and live large sums of time as the person. So, you know, a, a person may come to a crisis point in their life at like, you know, 25, where they're like, I just can't handle this anymore. And the presenter just goes away. They're just like, I, I, I'm done. I retire. And in their place, another part comes up. And so you, you knew a person and all their life, they went by Dave. But suddenly, Dave, who is kind of goofy and go-lucky and, and happy, suddenly becomes very serious. And you can't call him Dave anymore. Now it's David. Now it's David. Let's be proper. Let's be serious. Let's be real. 
Dave is gone and David's now there. Now, uh, if a person does a permanent hard switch like that and a different part of them transitions to presenter, uh, that part often w will be very large. And so what I found is large can mean a significant piece of the soul that's fractured along with a piece of the spirit. So it includes both. And there's a third type um, of part that I have found, according to Psalm 51, 17, which says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These the Lord will not despise. And because the word shabar is translated broken, and that means to break or shatter in pieces, what I have found is that there, there can be pieces of a person's spirit man. And when, when I find a broken spirit, you know, there, there may be like five or six pieces of that person's spirit man on the inside, and they walk around like the altars in the subconscious or, or in the spirit realm itself. And they're, they're, they don't ever integrate into the soul because the Bible says that God created us spirit, soul, and body. So I, I almost deal with the spirit parts independently. And when I know that there's peace of a person's spirit, they get healing and redemption and work. And eventually I integrate the spirit together. And the goal is to integrate the soul together so that a person can be spirit, soul, and body whole. But the spirit doesn't become the soul, and the soul doesn't become the spirit. It, actually, no matter what, there's always a distinction due to design of creation. And that's why, like even for me, right, I have Daniel's spirit. There, there's my human spirit that's with me. And, you know, it, it's so cool when you learn about the, the human spirit. I'm going to just branch off into this a little bit because there's one more, a couple more clarifications I want to make about functionality and, and different things that people really get confused and mixed up. And, and this will help you, you know. We're done with the airplane model. Now we're just talking about types and fragments and composition. Uh, we, even when a person's whole, they're going to have their soul and their spirit. And, like, I was hanging out with some people the other day, and uh, my spirit was called up. And they said, Daniel's spirit, I want you to come up. So when, when, when that happens, it's kind of like when, when a person with DID switches, except it's, it's not switching to a, a, a dissociated fragment of my consciousness. It's actually engaging the mind of my spirit man that God created as me. And when my spirit came forward, I just basically looked at another person and I'm like, huh. You have like these concentric rings running around you and they're attached to some chains and some seals. And I, I could take that away for you if you want. You know, and that, that was my spirit talking. Well, they got delivered that night very, very easily because when my spirit came forward, the veil disappeared. And I'm really able to engage the spirit realm very easily because that's the part of me that lives in the spirit realm and engages the spirit realm according to the design of God according to the design of God. And we all have a human spirit. And when we begin to be able to connect with the mind of our spirit, to be able to live life out of the uh, power and authority and ability God has grafted into our spirit, that's when we begin to really engage in kingdom living. Because the spirit part of us is the part that fulfills, you know, uh, Ephesians 2.6. For we are raised up 
together and seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Our soul isn't sitting up there. Our spirit man is the part of us that's been uh, repositioned into that realm of God. Our spirit man is the part of us that can navigate with the Holy Spirit, the spirit realm. You know, there's this idea, there's no distance in prayer. How many times have I been in prayer where I'm praying with someone maybe on the other side of the world and I'm able to look at things in the spirit and say, well, this is what's going on here. This is what's going on there. This is what's, why can I do that? Well, that's a function of the human spirit that's able to make it such that there is no distance in prayer. And our human spirit works with the Holy Spirit in this way. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now, there has been a lot of confusion on this uh, the function of human spirits versus the functions of human souls, um, particularly in executing assignments and jobs in the spirit realm, which God actually has for us to do, because the Bible says, one, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church of the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, Ephesians 3.10, and Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, right? These are spirit realm locations. That's, that's a function of our human spirits and our spirits is designed to be uh, empowered called forth equipped built up and then we begin to engage with God on on, on different levels and planes and um, I'll tell you what without the abilities of my spirit that uh, are ordained of God um, there's no way I could help survivors because we have to go into the other realms and timelines and dimensions to do it and and, and it's my spirit man that's able to work with the Lord on those levels I just speak words, sit here, you know. And and so when we are engaging the spirit realm as believers, the, the idea, the design of God is actually to engage the spirit realm with our spirit while our, our soul remains in the body. So no matter what realm or timeline or different place like I've ministered in the spirit in order to get people set free, I've never actually had to leave my body in my soul in order to do that. Now, leaving the body as a soul is what is called astral projection, which is witchcraft and occult work. My spirit man, however, is able to traverse the heavens because my design by God is a transdimensional design, at least as it is related to my human spirit. So when my soul in the body anchoring me to the earth and my spirit doing the works of the Lord in the spirit realm, I'm able to navigate the natural and the spirit simultaneously. And some people would say, well, that sounds, you know, like you're trying to teach people to astral travel and do witchcraft. No, astral travel and witchcraft is the occult and that's the counterfeit of the genuine way God designed his people to engage the spirit realm. And this is what the body of Christ needs to wake up to, that God did design his people to reign in the spirit out of his power to shut down the evil that's going on in it. God didn't create a spirit realm and say, okay, all of you evil people and occultists rule it and my people just, you know, lay under their feet and let them step on you. He gave us authority and power over all the powers of evil and darkness. So there's a transition in Christian thought, I know, and, and we work on this at Bride Ministries all the time, in that we, we want people's spirits equipped and empowered to fulfill their assignment as people walk out a life of obedience in their soul and in their body to the directives of God's Word and His Holy Spirit. Uh, life is actually designed to be an engagement of spirit, soul, and body working together. And... Um, 
as, as we bring all of those into alignment, we begin to live the lives that God intended for us to live and not oh, this pitiful excuse for life that most Christians tolerate. And so anyway, with that said, I have stated everything I wanted to put out there today. Uh, I hope this has been helpful for those of you that have listened. This is Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Folks, until next time, God bless and Godspeed. Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall is the premier radio program designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program has been a production of Bride Ministries. You can find us at www.bridemovement.com At our website, you can contact us, access resources, and support us with donations. We need partners in order to continue to produce our vision which is to promote unity in the body of Christ worldwide and assist in the creation and development of sheep nations. Partner with us and be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed.